Hello, it's Bonnie back with you again today and thanks for listening to The Leader. Every day at 4pm we bring you news, interviews and analysis from the Evening Standards newsroom. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining. If you like it, make sure you hit subscribe and give us a rating too. From The Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm Bonnie Christian. A bombshell report reveals Russian interference in the UK is the new normal. Now we need to ask what's going to be done really to find out what Russia and other foreign powers are going to do to interfere in our democracy and what in return we're going to do to keep democracy safe. The Evening Standard's Julian Glover says one of the biggest questions now is who made decisions not to look for evidence of Russian interference? And when the public receives mixed messages or really unclear messages, then they get an information overload, but they tend to disengage and, and just not believe the evidence anymore. Melinda Mills from Oxford's Leverhulme Centre for Demographic Science warns that despite mixed messaging, as we come out of lockdown, wearing a face mask is as important as social distancing. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, a long-awaited report on Russians' influence in the UK calls for immediate action to help tackle the threat. This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June 2024. Good luck. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. A long-awaited report into Russian interference in Britain has made a startling conclusion. The government took its eye off the ball and actively avoided looking for evidence of the Kremlin's threat in the UK. The Intelligence and Security Committee's inquiry covers topics that include disinformation in campaigns, cyber tactics and Russian expatriates in the UK, revealing that Britain is a top target for the state. Meanwhile, Downing Street has been accused of holding back on releasing the report, finished nine months ago, which it denies. Our editorial column says it's important it was published at all. 
Two things matter about the Russia report. The first is that it has come out at all. It was finished last year, but the government blocked its publication and then kept blocking it by refusing to set up the Vital Intelligence and Security Committee, which could authorise its publication. That anti-democratic charade collapsed last week when Downing Street failed to impose its own weak candidate as chair and the new committee voted to go ahead with publication. The other thing that matters is what the report says, that the Russian government has actively tried to interfere in our democratic process. Anyone who has followed the issue will know that already. Just look at the last US election for an example. But it still matters and it is right that we are told officially. The Evening Standard's Julian Glover joins me now. Julian, it's been a long wait for this report. What have we learned? This morning, at last, we got to see the Russia report. And how exciting could it be? That was the question we were asking. It was about intelligence. It was about interference in our democracy. It's the kind of report that has asterisks in it, so you can't see everything that's referred to. And we got the document. It appeared at 10.30. And what it tells us is partly what we knew already, and partly, more shockingly, what we don't know already and what hasn't been asked. This is a report that was written last year. It should have come out in a public form last year. So what exactly was the hold-up? There's a committee, a powerful and very special committee, made up of parliamentarians, which has the right to deal with the intelligence services, monitor them, try and keep an eye on what they're doing to keep us safe and keep democracy safe. It's a valuable thing. The committee ceased to exist last year when the general election happened. Before the election, the report was blocked from being issued. The parliament came back. The committee didn't return. It wasn't set up. The government got in the way. Months passed. This report therefore couldn't come out and it made everybody very suspicious. What was it that was being hidden? Well, at last, just before the summer, when Parliament goes away, the committee has been set up and and the government put in charge, or it wanted to put in charge, Chris Grayling, the former Transport Secretary, the former Justice Secretary, and somebody seen as a person doing their bidding. There were questions about whether the report would ever come out if he was the chair. Well, that all went wrong last week, and we ended up with Julian Lewis, a very independent-minded former Tory MP. He was kicked out of the party for staging his little mini-coup. First thing he did, put the report out, so we got hold of it. And what did we find out? Are there any big unanswered questions? On a quick reading, it doesn't reveal a smoking gun. It doesn't say Russia did X to shift the Scottish referendum result or did Y to fiddle with the result on Brexit. But instead it tells us that we don't really know what Russia did because nobody asked any questions. MI5, Domestic Security Service, only sent them a very, very short, terse note, barely a note, just a couple of sentences on what might have happened during Brexit. So it seems that what really did happen was that there's broad evidence, as this report says, that Russia has tried to interfere in democratic processes around the world. It mentions France, it mentions the United States, and that it's a very powerful player in the UK now, owning organisations, funding charities. None of those necessarily wrong, but it's a big force in London in particular. And the implication is it must have had a role in 
elections, in campaigns, in bots, in putting things up on Twitter, in trying to twist the way people thought. But the nobody seemed to have actually looked very hard to find out what might have taken place. So all this report has done is rather than tell us a series of things we now know, it's led people to ask a series of questions about what we don't know, and in particular, why we don't know, who made the decisions not to look into things. That isn't just a conspiracy. It's clearly an absence, a failure. But it's probably not, in the short term, as exciting as revealing some big secret. So we have the report, we know what's in it, we don't know what the asterisks cover up, but we can guess. Now we need to ask what's going to be done really to find out what Russia and other foreign powers are going to do to interfere in our democracy using things like social media and what in return we're going to do to keep democracy safe. Next, he predicted that they could get the virus under control within four to eight weeks. So, you know, there's really mounting evidence that this is important. Will confusing messaging around face masks lead to a second coronavirus spike? Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We can both observe social distancing and meet as an entire cabinet face-to-face, which I'm sure you'll agree is the right thing to do. In a move seen to encourage people back to the office, Boris Johnson assembled his first face-to-face cabinet meeting since spring. Familiar measures to stop the spread of COVID-19 were in place, social distancing and hand sanitizer, but just days before face masks become mandatory in shops, there was no obligation for ministers to wear them at the session. The Prime Minister has stopped short of saying face coverings need to be worn in the office. But Director of Oxford University's Leverhulme Centre for Demographic Science says this confusing messaging could lead to a second spike in the UK. Melinda, since the start of the pandemic, there's been very different answers on this. So do face masks work? So, I mean, directly in answer to your question, yes, uh, face masks and coverings do work. They protect uh, the person that's wearing them. So not entirely, but there is evidence that they have protect the person, but there's also evidence that they protect those around you. So it's becoming increasingly clear that if you have a well-constructed cloth face covering, so that's different from a surgical mask. So um, there's a difference between surgical masks, respirators, these N95 respirators, and face coverings, so cloth masks. So if you have a high-quality one that's that's cotton, it's multi-layered, it's well-constructed, yes, that will definitely protect others. They've been shown um, to have about an 80 to 95% filtration. So if you cough or sing or, you know, emit anything, it should filter out the virus. Could not wearing them as we come out of lockdown lead to a second spike? 
Yeah, so um, actually the head of the Center for Disease Control in the United States came out saying that non-pharmaceutical interventions are actually wearing face masks, so to prevent the transmission of the virus. And face coverings and masks shouldn't be seen independently. You know, the Center for Disease Control said if, you know, he could get everyone in the U.S. um, wearing face masks and coverings, he predicted that they could get the virus under control within four to eight weeks. So, you know, there's really uh, mounting evidence that this is important. Other countries in Europe have been quick to adopt them, even though it wasn't previously part of their culture. Why has the UK lagged on this? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think the reason is that the policy, you know, the national policies were just made really, really clear to people that they should wear um, face coverings. And more importantly, you know, in the research we did, is that um, you have to understand the behavioral factors behind this. So it's not just a medical issue, it's about behavioral issues. So people have to understand why they're wearing face masks and coverings. So they have to understand how the virus works, but that masks protect them and protect others. And I think what's really important is people have to understand the sort of barriers about them too. So here, I think in the UK, it was initially mixed uh, with messages about PPE shortages. So people thought, you know, it was their civic duty not to wear masks. And I think the government uh, policy has been very, very unclear. Uh, The WHO also changed its policy between April and June, so that didn't help. And when the public receives mixed messages or really unclear messages, um, then they get an information overload, but they tend to disengage and, and just not believe the evidence anymore. Because we've been told now to wear them in shops and on public transport, but not in other enclosed spaces such as offices. So what impact does this kind of conflicting messaging have? You know, getting around like why you need to wear them is important. If if we think about Japan, for example, it just, you know, they engage in really clear messaging. They had the three C's. So avoid closed spaces, avoid crowded places and avoid close contact settings. And if you're in those closed spaces, spaces, crowded places, close contact settings, you know, you should really be wearing a face covering or mask. And then people thought, okay, yeah, so I I can't social distance or I'm in this sort of crowded area, a crowded street, um, I'm in a pub, I'm in a shop, and and then it was clear. And in other countries such as Portugal, for example, um, you know, gave really clear guidance about if you come into a restaurant, you use hand sanitizer. When you walk to your table, you keep your face masks on, you take it off when you're at the table, all serving staff should be wearing uh, masks. And, you know, here there's, there's just a lot of confusion around it. And people see the inconsistencies. They call them out immediately. <laughs> you know, they say, well, why, you know, why, why is it in supermarkets and shops? And do the shopkeepers have to wear them? And all of these different things that actually, you know, many countries have gone through this before with SARS, um, with MERS and other respiratory diseases. And they've already developed really, you know, clear policy on it. So there's really no need to have unclear policy. Um, If we can clarify to people that wearing face masks and covering is just like hand hygiene or social distancing or quarantining, as long as that's made clear to people, then you can actually, you know, help to mitigate or avoid these um, second, third or or further outbreaks and spikes. The Asian countries that have experienced uh, SARS and these respiratory outbreaks before, they acted immediately in in suggesting face uh, coverings. And I think there's a bit of a myth that people won't, won't adopt them because they have in many other countries that had no history of them. And people don't want to stay in lockdown for a long period of time. They want to leave their houses, but they want to feel secure and safe when they're going into businesses and different places. So this gives them that security that they're not transmitting the virus to others, but also it offers some protection for themselves. 
And that's The Leader. You can read more on those stories by picking up a copy of the newspaper or visiting standard.co.uk. And we also have morning briefings available at 7am through your smart speaker. Just ask for the news from The Evening Standard. David Marsland is back with you tomorrow at 4pm. Subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. 